Y'all, this girl met a guy at 21, committed a crime at 23, and got sentenced to death and executed at 38. This is Sinister Suppers. Holy shit, it's the first episode. If cuss words are a trigger for you, then I have just lost a listener, I guess. <laughs> but anyways, welcome to the first episode. My name is Christy. I have always wanted to do a podcast and I am obsessed with true crime. This was one of those 2 a.m. ideas. You know, you're up on your phone, you can't sleep, you're trying not to think about your ex. <laughs> and then you just end up down a rabbit hole on the Department of Corrections website looking at death row inmates and wondering what they had to eat. Now, could you Google all of this information and find this out for yourself? Absolutely. But I would rather you listen to me talk about it. For this episode, we are in Texas, y'all. You know what Ron White said? If you come to Texas and kill somebody, we will kill you back. We are starting out this podcast with a lady. Our first story is about Carla Faye Tucker. So Carla Faye was born on November 18th, 1959 in Houston, Texas. She was sentenced to death for killing two people with a pickaxe during a burglary. And fun fact, she was the first woman to be executed in Texas since 1863, y'all. Carla was the youngest of three sisters, and her father's name was Larry. He worked as a longshoreman, basically someone who works in cargo. They don't say much about Carla's mother, other than her name was Carolyn, and Carolyn and Larry's marriage was actually pretty troubled. During the divorce proceedings, Carla found out when she was 10 years old that her birth was the result of an affair. So you add a cup of parents fighting plus a cup of infidelity and a little dash of divorce. That, my friends, is the perfect recipe for a toxic childhood. And we have all dealt with childhood trauma. Am I right? So sweet baby Carla Faye starts smoking cigarettes with her older sisters at age 8. By age 12, she had already begun doing drugs and having sex. She dropped out of school at age 14 and decided to go hang out with her mom, who was a prostitute. So Carla and her role model of a mother began traveling with the Marshall Tucker Band, the Eagles, and the Allman Brothers Band. Okay, love them, love that. I'm like all for it. I think that is so dope. But really, you have to take your 14-year-old daughter with you? That just uh, doesn't compute in my brain. It's not something I would want my 14-year-old daughter to experience at that age. Right here, her backstory gets a little choppy because it says at 16, she was briefly married to a handyman named Stephen Griffith. But then it jumps to when she was in her early 20s, she's hanging out with these biker dudes 
and met a woman named Sean Dean and her husband, Jerry Lynn Dean. And that couple in 1981 introduced her to a man named Daniel Ryan Garrett. So Daniel is 35. Carla is 21. And I mean, Carla girl, you're 21. You're legal. You're an adult. You meet this cute dude, probably with a motorcycle. Live your best life. But unfortunately, she did not live her best life. So the research is showing that drugs played a huge part in Carla and Daniel's relationship. It said they spent an entire weekend doing drugs together. And then they decided to go to Jerry Dean's apartment. And Jerry Dean, remember, is the guy that introduced Carla to Daniel. Carla, Daniel, and their friend James show up at Jerry Dean's apartment. It is around 3 a.m. Monday, June 13th, 1983. Carla and Daniel are there because they want to steal a motorcycle that Jerry was restoring. However, James wants to steal Jerry's El Camino. And hey, I am not in any way condoning Grand Theft Auto, but an El Camino is pretty fucking fire. So from these reports, it's looking like Carla and Daniel were the only people to enter the apartment because James is over here looking for this fucking El Camino. I don't even know why they brought James in the first place. This is where I'm going to have to insert a little trigger warning, you guys, because this is a burglary. It's not sunshine and rainbows. It is not Barney the Dinosaur. It's going to get ugly. So if you're not into, like, violence and hearing about attacks, trust me, I get it. Just fast forward a little bit or... Don't listen to a true crime podcast. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm kidding. But, you know, certain people have certain triggers. It's just about to get ugly. So they enter Jerry's bedroom. And sweet old Jerry is in the bed, sleeping, probably dreaming about his motorcycle that he's trying to fix. Ride it up into the mountains. Look at the sunset. He's definitely not thinking he's about to get fucking murdered. Carla goes in Jerry's room and sits on top of him to wake him up. Now, if this bitch would have went to robbery school 101, she would have known that that was her first fucking mistake. Now, I understand that drugs were involved, but how does this woman think that she can go in and sit on top of a dude and he's not going to overpower her? So, of course, Jerry wakes up, and they get into a little scuffle, and Daniel intervenes. Daniel finds a hammer on the floor and repeatedly hits Jerry over the head with said hammer. Daniel obviously got an A-plus in Robbery 101. So, Daniel's like, okay, everything's fine. Jerry's knocked out. I'm going to go steal these motorcycle parts. So while Daniel's in the living room, garage, kitchen, wherever the fuck these motorcycle parts are, Carla's still in the room with Jerry. So Jerry is hurt pretty bad due to all the blows from the hammer, but he's still alive. And he starts making this gurgling noise, and Carla just hates it. It's just awful to hear. And I mean, I'm sure it is, but... She's not really that involved right now. And what I mean is 
she could definitely get charged with breaking and entering and she sat on top of the dude that they were trying to rob. But this so far in this story is not a death penalty case right now for Carla. So Jerry is making these awful noises and she's having a hard time dealing with it. So at this point, I'm like, Carla Faye, sweetie, leave the room, leave the apartment, leave your boyfriend, go to rehab, go to therapy, do something. But no, what does she do? What does Carla Faye do? She picked up a three-foot pickaxe that was just up against the wall conveniently and starts hitting Jerry with the pickaxe. Hearing all this commotion, Daniel walks in and took the pickaxe and dealt Jerry a final blow to the chest. So now we've got Jerry taken care of. That's what they're thinking. Daniel leaves the room again to continue loading the motorcycle parts into his truck. Carla was once again left alone in the room. Why the fuck is she still in this bedroom? I have no idea. But this next part is going to blow your fucking mind. The whole time that this murder is taking place, there is another woman in the room hiding. So this woman's name was Deborah Ruth Thornton, and I guess apparently she had argued with her husband the night before and decided to go to a party and meet up with old Jerry and go spend the night at Jerry's house. Now, obviously, something was going on here that Debbie's husband didn't know about. But hey, hey, that's not none of my business. I'm just here to tell the story. Deborah was apparently hiding under a comforter up against a wall. This sounds a little weird to me. She was there the whole time and no one saw her. No one heard her. Carla and Daniel had no idea she was there until Jerry was dead. So Carla sees Deborah and tries to hit her with this pickaxe, but missed. So they get into a little struggle. They start fighting and here comes Daniel. Daniel to the rescue, gets the pickaxe and starts hitting Deborah repeatedly and then embeds the pickaxe in her heart. That is fucking brutal, you guys. Now this trigger warning is... Just because this made me cringe so much, and I think that this is ridiculous, you have to be mentally ill or on drugs or both to have this happen and then admit that this happened. Carla said she experienced intense orgasms with each blow of the axe. I can't even deal with that. I don't even know why I'm including that in this episode. But she said it, she admitted it to police, so there you go. You're welcome. Merry Christmas for that knowledge. So the next morning, one of Jerry's co-workers discovered the bodies and, of course, called the police. The police investigation led to the arrests of Daniel and Carla five weeks after the killing. Now, keep in mind, this is the 80s, so apparently... Things go a lot slower than they used to. I'm sure if this happened in present day, it wouldn't have took five weeks. But hey, the police got them. That's the point. 
In September of 1983, Carla and Daniel were indicted for murder and tried separately. Carla was charged with the murders of both Jerry and Deborah, but she got a deal, of course. After she testified against Daniel at his trial, the charge for the murder of Deborah was dropped. In most cases, it's so frustrating learning about the justice system because Daniel was not charged with Deborah's murder either. So this makes no sense. Deborah died literally because of Daniel and Carla, but no one was charged for the murder of Deborah. Where is the justice for Deborah? Carla pled not guilty, of course. And the death penalty was hardly ever sought for female killers. Carla and Daniel were sentenced to death in 1984. Well, Daniel died of liver disease in 1993 while he was awaiting execution. I mean, hey, karma. And, of course, Carla finds religion in prison, found a Bible, and... Asked God to forgive her, all of that great stuff. But she had many requests for a retrial and many requests for appeals stating that she was under the influence of drugs at the time of the murder. And let me give my two cents right here. I totally believe that people can commit these awful crimes when they're younger, go to prison, and change. I totally believe that people can change. A lot of people in the justice system don't believe that people can change, and her appeals were denied. Carla did get married in prison. She married the prison minister, Dana Brown. She got a lot of support from some of the leaders of American conservatism. I mean, she claimed to be totally reformed um, and even the warden of the Huntsville prison testified that she was a model prisoner and 14 years on death row she was reformed but the board rejected her appeal on January 28th 1998 just hours before her scheduled execution so we're here it's execution day February 2nd 1998, state authorities took Carla from the unit in Gatesville and flew her to the Huntsville unit. And here's the reason we're all here, folks. Her last meal, Carla requested a banana, a peach, and a garden salad with ranch dressing. Okay, not my first choice, but I will give her points for the ranch dressing. We love a good ranch dressing. Carla chose four people to watch her die. She chose her sister, Kari, her spouse, Dana, and two close friends, Jackie and Ronald. Witnesses for the murder victims included Deborah's husband, Richard, Deborah's only child, William, and Deborah's stepdaughter, Katie. Deborah's last words, she said, I would like to thank all of you, the Thornton family and Jerry Dean's family, that I am so sorry. I hope God will give you peace with this. She looked at her husband. Baby, I love you. She looked at Ronald. Ron, give Peggy a hug for me. She looked at all present, weeping and smiling. 
Everybody has been so good to me. I love you all very much. I'm going to be face to face with Jesus now. Warden Baggett, thank all of you so much. You have been so good to me. I love all of you very much. I will see you all when you get there. I will wait for you. Carla was executed by lethal injection on February 3rd, 1998. As the deadly chemicals were being administered, she praised Jesus Christ, licked her lips, looked at the ceiling, and hummed. She was pronounced dead at 6.45 p.m., eight minutes after receiving the injection, and she was buried at Forest Park Lawndale Cemetery in Houston. Carla was the first woman executed in the state of Texas in 135 years. She was also the second woman to be executed in the United States since the reinstatement of capital punishment in 1976. And there you have it, guys. That is the story of Carla Faye Tucker. If you're interested, I think they did make a movie about her. And there is also a episode of Deadly Women that tells her story. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Click that subscribe button so you can listen to my future episodes. I am on Instagram at Sinister Suppers. Give me a follow. I'll be posting some pictures and more information about each case. And you guys stay amazing.